Hi everyone, welcome to Business Access by TD Image. I'm Diego D'Souza and I am excited today to get into the ring with the Mike Tyson of marketing. This guy has won so many awards that competitors have to create their own award system to even get second place. I want to welcome Tom Edwards, Chief Marketing Officer of Triple Clicks. Tom, how are you? I'm doing incredibly well. How are you today? I'm doing all right. Did I say that properly? Triple Clicks, right? Yes. Awesome. Awesome. So, Tom, I don't even know where to start with you because you're just like, I went into your bio and I read a lot about what you do. I went into um, your business is, uh, is it called Black 360? Blackfin 360? Yeah, it's Blackfin 360. And that's yours, um, right? That is, that is correct. That is correct. Like I went in there. I Here's what I do is I go into uh, people's bio and I read a little bit about the pod before the podcast for about, you know, 10, 15 minutes. But I must have been stuck in your profile for about 30 minutes to 45 minutes because like every time I read something, I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You know, I really appreciate that. I've been incredibly lucky. I've spent about 20 years um, in the industry. And I started back, you know, I started my marketing technology career during the dot-com days. So I was part of an interactive agency. And then when the bubble burst, I was a co-founder of a managed services company. And we focused almost exclusively on Microsoft. And that company's still around to this day. It's called Smooth Fusion. And then moving into the mid-2000s, really rode the wave of social computing with a company called Telligent. So we did the blogs for MSNBC, the forums for Xbox and MySpace. Um, one of the cooler highlights is I worked really closely with Electronic Arts. We launched the first ever instance of in-game video content to the web for a little game called Skate, which just got revealed to have a fourth iteration coming soon. Um, I've had a lot of different roles during that time. Been a CMO leading strategy and innovation for agencies. And most recently, I was the chief digital innovation officer at Epsilon. So now I'm the CMO at Triple Clicks. And Triple Clicks is a retainer-based gaming agency. So we basically align game publishers and platforms with brands to help them connect basically authentically with gamers. That's amazing. And here's the thing is that to be as successful as you are, I think they, there has to be a passion behind it. People have to have a passion to get to a certain successful successful level where it's not work. It's just something different. So how did you find out that this was your passion and this is what you needed to do? You know, it, it is so true. Whenever you find your core passions and that becomes your job, it's not like a job. So I remember the very first movie I ever saw was Star Wars. You know, growing up, you know, most, and I'm kind of dating myself a little bit here, but but most of my friends, they wanted to be Luke Skywalker or Han Solo. I was fascinated by the droids. I like C-3PO and R2-D2. And I love how the technology of the Star Wars universe, it carried the characters forward every step of the way. R2-D2 enabled the journey for Luke Skywalker. Right. But, you know, growing up in the 80s, tech wasn't really quite to the level of Star Wars yet. But the closest proxy I had was video games. So I loved all things gaming, like from that early stage. Right. Then in the 90s, you know, began to see glimmers of hope and I saw connectivity was on the rise, you know, accessibility to PC and hardware, computer hardware. And that sparked my passion for technology, which exists to this day. So marketing, technology, gaming, they're all my passions. So it makes it incredibly easy to, to do what I do. 
Let me ask you this. Uh, when it comes to the technology that you start in, saw in Star Wars, how do you feel we are today? <laughs> We're getting close, actually. So it's amazing, just the exponential acceleration. I used to talk about how disruption was the new normal. Now I feel like we're on this path of exponential acceleration. You've got you know, the rise, basically the golden age of AI, which is basically decreasing the amount of time it's gonna take for us to process and do things, moving towards predictive decisioning to where these entities will be able to help and support us every step of the way. Um, we're getting close to this idea of simulation at scale. But uh, yeah, it's because there are these organizations that are mapping everything digitally right now as we speak. So it's all coming together from virtual assistants as proxies towards simulation, looking at some of the patents, seeing what Apple and Samsung and some of the others are doing. They're going to release some type of glasses form factor in the next years, a few years. Um, it's all coming together. It's very interesting, the technology that is here today. The one thing, the only thing that I'm afraid of is autonomous driving. Um, I'm very <laughs> concerned about that. And it's not about the technology, it's about the person that's actually behind the wheel. So I, I'm pretty sure that everything is going to work out. But I, I put my money on the, uh, the technology against the person that's driving the other car. Because I'm just saying, because we get accidents because people create accidents and technology have actually been very good at that, especially with Tesla. They, they've been very good in, in um, avoiding those types of issue. And a lot of what I've read, it's when the person creates the reaction, not the, uh, the technology. So, um, but I'm still concerned about that. So we'll move on. That's something I'll talk to uh, with Tesla about and make sure that uh, we, we take everybody off the road before we put those on the road, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so let me ask you this. How does it feel? Because like I say, I, I want to go back to the passion. Um, how does it feel to you when you get a client and, and you create that pathway to success for them? How does that feel? You know, it feels amazing. There's there's nothing better from a professional perspective when you're able to really truly help a client meet a consumer need. You know, since I am in kind of the marketing space, you know, for years I've really focused on working at the forefront of emerging tech and marketing. And so when you're able to align a certain technology plus a consumer experience that hits this just just right in this cultural point, this culture, this perfect inflection point culturally. That's something that, that is really just a lot of fun. And I'll go back to the EA example I gave earlier, you know, being able to just hit that moment when social computing was on the rise. This was before consumer social hit with Facebook and some of the other areas. Now we take it for granted. Look at the just insane numbers associated with Twitch and with the number of these other platforms that allow streaming. But in the mid-2000s, that was fairly feasible take and drive that through like there's there's absolutely nothing better most recently my work was primarily with data and ai centric uh, things looking for themes perceptions occasions and how to craft consumer experiences so it's just this constant evolution of technology data and then moving towards what is our environment going to look like that's so amazing it's 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 so amazing when you get a client and then you take them on this path of success 
and you have something collaborative with them. It's not like they're a client anymore. It's like it's a relationship that you have with them. And it goes beyond just that service that they got from you. It becomes something that I consider a lot of my clients family members. I consider a lot of the clients that I have as an extension of what we do. And hopefully they think the same that we're an extension of them. That's 100% correct. It, it goes well beyond a transaction and much more into how can I really truly help you because I want to be your you know, trusted advisor and partner throughout this process. Exactly. So you've been a regular speaker on TEDx, Mobile World Congress. Um, I think you've, you've been at, have you done CES also? Yeah. Yeah. So there have been so many uh, events over the last, you know, however many years. Um, our, my platform that I speak on is Innovation to Reality. And so it really looks at how technology is going to evolve to where our environment adapts to us versus adapting to it. During the course of the talk, I really focus on how we're going to move from the mobile device as the primary way we interface with technology into our environment adapting to us. It's fun. It's visual. There's a lot of pop culture infused in it from the Matrix to you know, Pixar movies. And I really focus on three core territories. And that really is what I use as a filter when I evaluate emerging technology. It's empower, which is technology that empowers or enables consumers. It's exponential, all about intelligent systems. And it's about enhanced. This is where we go from intelligent assistance as our proxy towards full simulation. So it's a lot of fun. That's that's amazing. What are some of the top what are some of the other topics that you cover within um TEDx and Mobile World Congress. I bet you've been to South by Southwest also, haven't you? That's correct. So it's it's interesting because a lot of what I focus on also is Gen Z and the behavior and impact. You know, Gen Z represents forty percent of buying buying consumer buying power right now. It's like one hundred forty three billion dollars, and they're the very first generation. They learn to swipe before they learn to speak. So their expectations of technology, what they do how they interact, whether it's you know two and a half hours a day with on-demand content, an hour and a half a day gaming, 51 minutes a day with music, that has a significant impact on how technology is evolving and how experiences are evolving. So I talk a lot about that in the empower section, and then it really goes into the different types of AI, how it's going to essentially move towards prediction, this idea of the proxy web. And I have a lot of fun with the matrix talking about simulation and simulation theory. So and that whole thing then turns into a prediction of what is the actual date we're going to uh, move away from the mobile device. That's, that's so, yeah, we're going to have a chip implanted. Everything's going to be right along with it. It's just technology is amazing. There's, there's so many ways to go with it. Let me ask you this. Uh, this is kind of an off question, but uh, how do you feel technology is going to advance now that we've gone through the COVID pandemic, do you feel that technology is going to take a actual turn to more of the medical field in a lot of ways? You know, we're still going to continue to see technological advancements across industries. I think what's really kind of beginning to shift and change is it's less about, you know, a single use case or application and more about organizations and individuals realizing that Technology can enable work that doesn't necessarily have to be in a physical location to be productive and to drive results. Like we had this major disruption phase with, with COVID 
and now we're in this next section of like accepting what our reality is and trying to figure out what's next, especially from a business perspective. So technology, the role of technology is going to shift more from, you know, it's something fun that I do, you know, when I'm, you know, need some time to kill and I'm waiting in line, it's a weight buster versus something now that's essential, but also allows me a little bit more freedom and flexibility if I'm in a non-essential job to basically work from anywhere. So it basically that accelerated that piece of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Zoom kind of took over the industries. <laughs> Absolutely. Zoom, Microsoft Teams, Google, Facebook, everybody scrambled to to shift their offerings. But um, but it is true. I mean, it's, you know, it's there were a number of individuals who didn't really believe in or understand remote work. And I've been remote working for like the last five years. And I actually find that I'm incredibly more productive when I don't have a commute, when I can really sit and focus first thing in the morning. And I actually spend even more hours of my day focusing in, it's harder. You have to actually reverse engineer it a little bit and have structure in your day to work out, to do this, to do whatever. So that's, that's a really good point because, uh, the CEO of Twitter said the same thing. He said that, and this is, uh, he, they recently released a couple of weeks ago that they're allowing their, um, their employees to work from home forever. And he talked about uh, that he actually felt such an impact not having to drive and not having to deal with that part of it, part of his day, that he became more constructive and more uh, focused and he was able to accomplish so much more work. Yeah, it's really true. I, I find that I do some of my best work at different odd hours of the day, whether it's super early in the morning or very late at night. So it's just more conducive to if you have a spark of inspiration, you know, you can start writing for a few hours or work straight through on a deck or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. I, I get up at like five o'clock in the morning and I think right after I take that sip of coffee, I'm ready to go. So I, I <laughs> literally love that part where everything is silent in the morning. It's a little bit dark. It's just dawn right now. And then I am just going at it. I, I, I love my mornings like that. So. All right, so we're gonna get a little bit in the ring with you because I want businesses to get pumped up. I want to get to feel empowered. I want them to feel that they can accomplish something today, tomorrow, and moving forward in the f future. So what can businesses right now, since they're starting back up, what can they do and what should they focus on? So it's incredibly important right now to continue to focus on like core consumer needs and the value that their products and services actually bring. Like it's a good time to reflect and reset corporate strategy, especially digital strategy. So we've had such a disruption and a shift, especially in certain industries for even what a consumer decision journey looks like. And so the role that the data sources are using to, using to inform those steps, developing new capabilities during this time, it's incredibly important to think about, especially if you're a services-based business, what services are you actually providing? What services are necessary? Because we've kind of gone from this idea of, you know, marketing and advertising being this aspirational thing to now being just more of a reflection of our daily lives. It's about adding value. It's about understanding. It's about, you know, um, in inclusivity. Like all of these things culturally are now reshaping buying behavior in certain areas. If you're an essential good, you know, obviously there, there's been just this kind of constant um, 
acceleration of purchase associated with that. But if you're in another industry that's looking to jump back in, you know, how you actually leverage your communication methods, the content strategy, what you're actually communicating, the value proposition back, all of those things, it's incredibly important to kind of just reset, look at where we are, predict the next six months where you think that your business is going to be going, begin to forecast demand by geography, by channel, by segment, and then slowly kind of build it back. I got to tell you, my wife um, kept up every week. She was saying there's a high demand on this item. There's a high demand on this item. She kept up with every week and every week it was something different. Of course, it started out with toilet paper and then it went into something else. It was very interesting, the cycle of demand that we had during these times. Yeah, it, it really it really was. And that's that disruption phase right now. Right now, people it, it was everybody's just trying to figure out what's happening. Everybody's trying to do their part. You know, the 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 focus on essential goods. We're coming out of that a little bit now. It's a little bit easier to find toilet paper and I'm even finding Clorox wipes on the shelves again. So now it's now it's what's next. How does how does physical retail compare net compete now with people getting used to just purchasing everything on Amazon and having it delivered. So those are the types of questions that are being asked right now and what's going to kind of incent and motivate behavior. And it's hard because we're continuing to go through these spikes of, you know, of, of new cases that, you know, that we're seeing now across, especially heading into Florida and into Texas and moving towards California now that New York is kind of coming down a little bit. So we're going to continue to be in this in-between disruption phase and then kind of this acceptance phase. And so and then finally, we'll move into the, all right, people are beginning to have some semblance of normalcy again. How do we continue to connect? Exactly. And I think connection, that's actually leading into my next question, because I tell a lot of businesses that I speak to is communication, communication, communication. That is vital. Uh, it doesn't matter what point you are in your business. You have to communicate with your clientele and you have to communicate with your, your employees. That is something very important. And I've seen a lot of businesses because it was so overwhelming what was going on, this disruption, that they literally stopped communication when it comes to social media, advertising, or even putting something just on their personal Facebook if they're a restaurant to try to get business. I never recommended, I, I, I did not recommend that at all. I was like, you have to communicate. I don't care if you take your phone and create a short video of saying hello to your clientele, you must communicate. So with the businesses that stopped communication, what should they do to get back on par with communicating? Well, you're 100%. It's incredibly important to maintain that connection, especially now, because again, we've seen such a shift of you know messaging types. Uh, before it was about building brand equity, and now it's moving towards social responsibility, how to add value to you know, someone's daily lives. But it's also a tricky kind of slippery slope. So, you know, a recent Edelman report basically showed that 71% of respondents so that if during this time, if they perceive a brand as putting profit over people, they'll lose trust in them forever. Forever, last time I checked, is a pretty long time. <laughs> That's a very long time. <laughs> yeah. And they also said that, you know, that 70%, said they want brands only to speak about products in ways that show they're aware of the crisis and the impact on their lives. 
So yes, it's important to communicate, but also what you're doing during this time to help ease the disruption. But then moving forward, it's how is it going to continue to evolve? And you've seen a lot of reactionary marketing. You've seen a lot of, you know, you see more masks in advertising now. You see a lot of that is really trying to, to bridge that connection of, you know, we're in this with you. And then you begin to see a lot right now in uh, some of the other kind of movements that are happening and the responses and the positions that organizations are taking um, during this time. But I would say communication is incredibly key. And again, it really comes back to the content strategy piece and building it around how are you creating value for your specific audience? What are you doing? And also, you know, we're also seeing spikes in, you know, whether it's at-home influencers delivering messages, you know, having an overarching content strategy, what's your response? How do we evolve the business? Balance selling versus supporting. Those are all things that are incredibly key, but a lot of organizations are just reacting versus strategically planning and putting their brand and their consumers at the center versus, you know, it, it does it doesn't do a lot of good to just do a post or, or piece of content that's just driving overall awareness. It's more about that one that to your point, it's that connection. How can I connect in a meaningful way that's going to get, you know, some type of response? Exactly. During this time, what I've been doing is I've been looking to internationally, how have uh, businesses internationally dealt with things and uh, how they responded to their clientele. And I gotta be honest, I found this one and I thought it was so amazing. So one of the issues we're having here in the United States is the issue of quantity to the people's need. And this company, this smaller shop in Bolivia, what they did is they put a sign when it comes to sanitizer is that your first sanitizer is a couple bucks. They didn't change their price. But your second and third is like $80. <laughs> I was like, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it definitely, you see a lot of the, the limiting. Like, I have... I understand why, you know, we have to do it, but also providing a choice and, you know, scaling economies associated with that. It, it's it's interesting for sure how different kind of cultural geographies basically deal with that. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, it's, kind of it's fun cases. Yeah, it's been really interesting. He talked about the reason why is because he didn't want to sell one person 50 bottles of sanitizer and not having to someone that needs it. So he created That's that right. advertisement to make sure that he can, in a way, regulate and make people understand that take buy what you need, don't over-purchase, and take away from somebody else. So it was a really yeah. good uh, campaign and that he did. Um, so you've worked with a lot of industry. You've literally worked, I think, in almost every industry. I'm almost asking you, are you an AI yourself? But, <laughs> but what? My wife jokes about that sometimes. She's like, <laughs> are you really human or are you like a robot? What's, what's going on here? Do we need to charge you right now? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so let me ask you, with all the industries that you've worked with, what have has been some of the techniques and methods that you've seen really work well broadly? You know, it, it's, it's interesting. So I've tried to map my career against kind of 
the rising flow of technology and culture. So in the mid-2000s, it was about social computing and then social strategy. And then it moved into data and AI over the last kind of four to five years. The next area that's going to have a significant impact on every industry is actually gaming. So that's one of the reasons why I decided to, to join the Triple Clicks team. It was founded by an amazing guy by the name of Chris Erb. He essentially spent 10 years at, at EA running kind of EA Sports and kind of that brand, then went to Legendary Pictures, then started Triple Clicks about five years ago. And we've just seen such unprecedented growth across it. And what most people don't realize is that, you know, last year music made about, the music industry made about 21 billion, film about 43 billion, general gaming made about 152 billion dollars as an, that's almost double the entertainment properties. And why that's so relevant now goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning with Gen Z. If they represent 40% of consumers, and it's not about, you know, are you gaming? It's, it's what are you playing? And so, again, with those behaviors of consuming so much on-demand content, spending so much time a day, an hour and a half a day actually gaming, you know, I've got three Gen Zs in my home. I've got, a, you know, an 18, a 15, and a 12-year-old. And the boy, like, that's how they connect with their friends. You know, my daughter, she's on FaceTime with her friends all day. It's just on. There's, there's, there's just this kind of ever-present connection with friends. So understanding that and then seeing things like what's happening within Fortnite, it, it's no longer a game. It's an, it's, an it's an entertainment platform. You look at recently, they had the rapper Travis Scott. He had 27 million concurrent people watching a virtual performance, like 27 million so you see the growth of streaming services, you see all of these kind of different things on the rise. So to me, that's why I feel like being in this specific role, joining forces with Chris, and then being able to apply general gaming across industries to really drive business results has been a, a really interesting uh, shift. You know, you spent so much time on the data and AI side, now it's shifting into the, the cultural, cultural side. That's very interesting, and I'm, I'm excited that you're talking about the gaming industry because there's a lot of people have, there's there's a generational gap when it comes to the gaming industry, and gaming today, if you really take a look at it, it's it's a lot more than the button press. There There's just a lot more using your brain to accomplish tasks, to do certain things, to create certain whatever elements or, or, or actions within the game that it's not like it was before. The gaming industry, when it first started, it, it literally was a, a press a button and jump. But now I think, uh, of course, everything is with its own quantity, how much to take in. You have to balance everything. I, I do respect that the gaming industry has become something that also becomes a teaching platform it's not only just the entertainment part of it but i do have to say that the entertainment part of it uh, actually was speaking to um some of the editors from naughty dog the other day and what they've done with storytelling because my background is storytelling has it's just phenomenal it's just literally so phenomenal and i just want to give my props out to the gaming industry what you have done how uh 
you've developed within the last uh, um, last 10 years. And I thank you for being in there and speaking, speaking up uh, about this uh, topic. So, yeah, from a marketing perspective, there's so much opportunity to connect. I mean, you look at what is it? It's the other thing people don't realize also is the demographic breakdown. It's also 46 percent female. So it's this there's a stigma based on the age breakdown sometimes that gamers are just in their basements and it's, you know, antisocial. It's completely the opposite now. It's it's pervasive. It's everywhere. So it's whether we're talking mobile, whether we're talking console, whether we're talking PC. So that to me is going to be one of the next big areas of growth is going to be that connectivity between gaming and marketing. And so that's one of the primary reasons why I wanted to uh, join forces with the uh, Triple Clicks team. That's awesome. I do have to tell you that I do have a colleague that plays Pokemon Go. And during lunch, he has to go find a Pokemon. Just saying. It's I really- still do, too. Do you? So it's, my it's- kids, yeah. My kids make fun of me. My youngest is always like, you know, why? And I'm like, hey, you know what? It's I traveled so much. It was just a thing that I did. And it's a great way to, if I'm at an airport or something, I can just waste a little bit of time and, uh, yeah, have some fun. It, yes, I still play as well. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I mean, I think it's really interesting because you literally are searching the world for something digital. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's And that's this whole thing, again, where I keep talking about going back to the platform and talking about emerging technology for a second. Experiences like that to where it's getting you used to augmented reality. You know, it's like Snap's doing with their world lenses. It gets you used to just taking a digital experience, overlaying that in the physical world. A lot of new technology is rolled out as something that's like a fun entertainment thing. It's a toy. It's a game that then translates into practical use case and application. And it's training a generation. You look at the amount of people, the amount of people that are playing and interacting with Snap filters on a daily basis, I think it's like 70 million or something, that then are able to just associate that and expect that. And that's the thing. That's why Gen Z is driving a lot of these technological changes. It's their expectation of technology and experiences is what's essentially shifting all of this. So that's why things like Pokemon Go, while it may seem like a silly game to some, the AR overlay and that expectation of mixing of reality is is something to really kind of keep an eye on. Let me within this question, within this topic, let me ask you this: um, What do you feel? happened to Google Glasses because I thought that was going to be an it. I feel that some of the marketing and what they did didn't work out very well and that's why it didn't do so well. But what do you think, what is your perspective on Google Glasses? Yeah, I was one of the early adopters of Google Glass. I think it was a couple of different, I think it was a couple of factors. One, during that time when it was initially launching, the quote-unquote creator society isn't what it is today. So I think that now having a constant, you know, camera, constant recording, that's something that's much more, you know, experiences today are much more about enabling creativity. But I think the other part of it too was form factor. So when you start looking at some of the patents that are coming, you have Apple that's definitely going to put out some type of smart glass technology but it's going to be in partnership with um, 
or it'll have a look that's much more in line with real glasses that may have retina projection instead of, you know, a side mounted camera like Google Glass. You're, you've seen Snap uh, launch their spectacles to where people are kind of used to just wearing a camera on their lens. But I think ultimately we're going to see some some fundamental leaps over the next few years. Apple's foundationally setting us up for it. So are some other areas. Samsung is as well. We'll ultimately probably move towards some type of smart contact to where it'll be a combination of retina display, voice activation, and then it's more about uh, more about a personal experience of consuming information and transforming your world versus simply recording your world and looking at it all through a small block of glass that's projecting out from your, you know, from your from your glasses. That to me is when we're going to reach that kind of tipping point. I think the other thing that's really key too is 5G connectivity. So when again, it's all about that's why I call this a convergence. You have the coming together of this this ubiquitous connectivity combined with technology that's going to be able to you know um, basically allow us to control it in a way that's much more in line with us. Like again, direct retina projection, voice based activation. So these are things that are going to help the adoption of these systems, and we're just much more open to you know technology. You look at how fast smartphones proliferated throughout. Right now, like 96% of the world has a smartphone. So again, there is going to need to be a leap from this device that I carry around in my hand to something that is essentially I'm able to interact with at any point in time. Exactly. Let me ask you this. So, uh, and I'm sorry for the audience that we went off topic, but like his brain is incredible, and I just had to pick it a little bit. But if a client would come up to you and a business would come up to you right now and ask you, how can I make it happen? What will be the main thing that you say to them? I'd say easy. Just hire triple clicks. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so. In, yeah. No, in, in reality, I think a lot of it really comes back to there's not enough time spent on the behavioral side. So much of how agencies work, it's about defining a single persona and the of the audience and the target they're actually going to go after. And the reality is it's never a single persona. It's thousands of different iterations of affinity. It's different levels of themes. It's different personality types. How all of that then comes together to reach and connect with people in the right way, not every gamer is the same. Some like to play. Uh, First-person shooters, some are into racing, some are into simulation, some are into other areas. So it's finding what are those right levers and affinities from unstructured data that I can use to connect with individuals in a meaningful way. And so that's something that I feel like the industry as a whole, it's much easier to look at it from a media perspective of, okay, we're going to define this specific personality, we're going to push messaging to this, we're going to A-B test it and see how it goes versus using AI as a driver to truly differentiate the experience based on both structured and unstructured data as a way in which to connect. So that's something I spend a lot of time on, but now it's about, you know, how can I navigate the gaming space so where I can actually truly connect? Cause it's not just about esports sponsorships. That's where so much money is initially spent because it's, if you want to, my friend Chris says this all the time. He says, if you want to market to gamers, Esports is fine. If you want to create a general, true, authentic connection with them, you have to do it in a way that is meaningful 
providing value, exclusive access, you know, to limited time content. It's just a completely different way. And you have to have someone to kind of shepherd you through. Just like in a video game, you have to sometimes get carried in a raid. It's the same thing. You need somebody who knows the way, has the relationships, and can provide a clean path to whatever the end objective is. Exactly. One of the things that I love looking into is actually how we used to connect with people as salespeople, which was knocking on people's door. It was known as a bad thing, but if you really look at it, the connection that you had with the person, whether it was a no or a yes, you had that eye-to-eye contact and you were able to connect with the person. It might have not been a sale, but that person would have made that remembrance that you came to their door. So I always try to figure out how can that be flipped into the, in, in whatever industry I'm talking to. Uh, talking to today how can that be worked into how can I make that connection for this company with their clientele so they can have that hopefully we have it soon again is that handshake and that eye-to-eye contact so you know it's great though it's like things like you're doing here you know with your podcast I think what the thing a lot of people overlook too is the role that personal branding plays in this especially if you're any type of sales or marketing function The best thing that I ever did in my career and the thing that really accelerated success was starting my own blog and having a point of view and using that as the, you know, 500 posts later, it's, it's something that before I ever step into a room with a client, you can sometimes send different articles. Um, you can have a, they understand your, how you think, what you've done. It's just like you said, whenever you, once you got on the site, you wanted to stay and, you know, dig deeper and i think that's something that a lot of people really overlook because it's it, it is a lot of work but at the same time your content follows you from position to position it's important to have a repository for your information if you're in a me- if you have a media mention if you're doing a video you do a podcast you do you know some type of writing you want to aggregate that because all of that builds over time from a search equity perspective And then ultimately, from a professional point of differentiation, because if you're competing for a certain position and you have this wealth of information, knowledge, interaction, success that's clearly publicly visible, it's easier than to kind of differentiate from, you know, the rest of the competition. It's more work, but the the rewards are just exponential. Tom, I can literally sit here and ask you questions all day, but we don't have all day. I truly appreciate you coming on. Um, where can people find out more about you and actually go check out your posts? Because I think it, your posts are very vital. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on most of the social platforms, just at Blackfin360. That's Blackfin360. Um, but most of my content, just like we were talking about the 500 posts and videos and everything else, it's on Blackfin360. Dot com. Um, also, be able to tr- also if you want to learn more about Triple Clicks, check out Triple Clicks. That's T R I P L E C L I X dot com for all of our latest work in kind of the gaming and brand space. Awesome, awesome, Tom Edwards. Thank you so much for coming on, and we hope to hear more about you very soon. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun, and again, I could talk to you all day as well. So thanks again. Awesome. Have a great one. You too.